and it's our 15th episode. 50th. So sorry, I didn't have the script up. <laughs> Welcome to another Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. And it's our 50th episode, not our 15th, like I just said. <laughs> it is our half century. And to mark it, we've got a huge amount of cricket to talk about after what was possibly the biggest weekend of the season so far with the finals of the regional series and Cricket Scotland T20, some massive gains in the Eastern and Western premiers and the quarterfinals of the Beyond Boundaries Women's Scottish Cup as well. So let's get started. And to help us do it again, it's our pleasure to welcome Gary Heatley. Hello, Gary. Hi, guys. Good to be here again. And congratulations on the half century. Let's begin with a huge game at Titwood, the final of the Men's Regional Pro Series, where the Western Warriors were looking to break the Eastern Knights' four-year stranglehold on the trophy. Gary? Yes, and they did so in some style. The Knights went into the final having won their three group matches, including one against the Warriors. But they travelled west without George Munsey, who's with Kent just now, and Peter Ross, who's injured. The Warriors won the toss and put the Knights into bat, and the home bowlers were on form from early on in the innings. But not before Ollie Hairs has smashed Adil Gaffar for a six and a four for the first two balls of the match. Gaffar got his revenge when he bowled Hairs with the fifth ball of that over, and when he then removed Josh Wood and Gavin Main did for Dylan Budge, the Knights were struggling on 24 for three. Captain Mark Watt and Jamie Crawley put on 35 for the fourth wicket before the latter fell to Brandon McMullen for 29. Watt and his NH teammate Michael Sheen then put on 36 runs together, but Watt fell to Riyad Henry and things went wrong for the Knights from there. In the end, they were below par 149 all out from 43.5 overs. Gaffar taking 3 for 38, Henry 2 for 15, Hamza Tahir 2 for 16, and Mayne McMullen and Ross Lyons won the scalp apiece. In the Warriors' reply, they lost Matthew Cross' first ball of the innings, Watt catching him off the bowling of Ali Evans. But a 104-run partnership for the second wicket between Mo Wace and Michael English made sure that the Warriors were very much on the right track. English fell to Chris Sowell for 39, and with 15 runs required, a waste to the same bowler for a superb 68. But 31 not out from skipper Richie Berrington and two not out from Angus Guy saw Andy Tennant's men home by seven wickets after a very clinical showing. It was, it was, wasn't it? A massive performance from the Warriors to end what have really been a brilliant competition all round. I mean, after the batters grabbed all the headlines early on, it was interesting to see the bowlers bring it home at the end, Gary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things we've mentioned in previous weeks, obviously, the big scores, big scores right at the start of the competition, but I guess a bowling attack made up of Adil Guffar, Gavin Main, Brandon Mullen, Richie Bennington, Riyad Henry, and Hamza Tahir and Ross Lyons. Is as good as anything in Scotland on its day at the minute, and they proved so in that final. Perhaps the, night were miss- the Knights were missing the likes of Munsey and Ross, but they still had enough quality in their batting lineup and in their bowling to-, to give the Warriors a game. But the home side really were just on fire and really deserved to win. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a, a quick look at those batting averages. Jamie Crawley's up there at the top with 301 runs from his three innings, followed by Matthew Cross, who joined him in scoring a double hundred on that first weekend. But the stat that jumps out at me is the one related to Ollie Hares, who's in third. 213 runs in all at a strike rate of 239.33. That trial series for the T20 World Cup on the near horizon, that's quite a statement, Gary. 
Yeah, and Oli Harris has really been making statements all season long. Um, he may not be a full-time contracted player, but he has plenty of experience and trains with the Scotland squad regularly. And along with Munsey, there's no cleaner striker for cricket ball in Scotland just now. He hit 191 in the Eastern Premier Division for what's known against Grange back in June. 127 against Clydesdale in the recent Scottish Cup semi-final to see his team through. And just as we record this show on Monday evening, he's posted 78 retired from 51 balls for Scotland A down south against the Worcestershire 11. The fact that he and Munsey are both left-handers is a massive advantage too when it comes to T20 cricket. So you'd imagine that Harris is going to be right in the mix for the, the World Cup squad. So moving on to T20 cricket, it was the T20 finals day our broth last Sunday where the regional champions Carlton, Fergusley, Forfisher and Gala battles it out for the overall crown. And it was the team from the capital which came out on top. Yes, they did. And in the first semi-final, 80 from Tom Simpson helped that Carlton side see off Fergusley by 27 runs. While Forfisher got past Plucky Gala, who had done well to make it just to that national stage. Bowling first in the final between the two Eastern Premier Division sides packed with quality. Carlton got off to the perfect start when spinner Rory Allardyce had Forrest Dangerman Craig Wallace caught off the first ball of the match by Ali Shah. Captain Ali Evans then bowled Rory Johnson and when spinner Angus Beattie bowled Michael Least with the contest just 13 balls old, it was all Carlton at that stage. Forrest had some rebuilding to do from two for three and Callum Garden and Aman Bailwell did just that, progressing the score to 66 before Bailwell was bowled by Beattie for 29. The very next ball, BT bowled first skipper Scott Cameron and the champions from the event in 2009 were 66 or 5 as the end of the 12th over approached. Fair play to Jack Hogarth who came in and made 20 of 21 balls, batting number 7, but there was no let up from the Carlton bowlers and the innings ended when Glenn Carnegie was bowled by Evans after 19.3 overs with a score on just 103. BT had starred with 4 for 15 while Scotland man Evans was almost unplayable with 3 for 5 and Shooter Khan and Allardyce were also in the wickets. In reply, needing 104 to win, Carlton lost Simpson for a duck from the final ball of the first over. He was trying to pull Cameron, but picked out Wallace in the deep. Arun Pillai and Hugo Southwell, two experienced players with cam heads, then came together at the wicket for the Edinburgh side. They put on 34 for the second wicket before the latter was bowled for 21 by leg spinner Hogarth to give force renewed hope. After 10 overs, Carlton were on 44 for two and needed a further 60 runs from 60 balls to win. Spinner Leesk had Pillai caught in the deep by Wallace for 18 off the first ball of the 12th over to put Carlton 47 for 3 before a 6 from Can helped the batting team's cause later in the same over. Can and Shah then put on a 35-run partnership for the fourth wicket before the former was caught by Bailwell off the bowling of Hogarth for an important 24. Fraser Burnett joined Shah and they saw their team home after 18.2 overs by 6 wickets. Shah finishing on 28 not out and Burnett on 8 not out and at the end, Carlton were very worthy champions. A great win, and thankfully the le- the weather was kind in the end. And turning to the Western Premier, Jake, the cricket on Saturday just about survived it too. Just about, Rosie. Uh, pretty much every game had a shower or two to contend with, but only one no result came out of it in the end. A pretty lucky outcome after those luminous green blobs that covered the weather map in the forecast. Uh, but that game was the biggest one at the top of the table where Clydesdale and Uddingston were locked in a knife-edge sort of struggle when the storm arrived after 15 overs of the second innings. 
Dale had earlier bowled out the visitors for 121, Zeeshan Bashir taking four for 15, but had been left at 26 for three in the reply, with Paddy Barber, Owen Gould and Richie Barrington all dismissed cheaply. Fazal Jawad and Daniel Cairns had got the score to 45 by the time the rains came, but there was plenty more cricket left in what was a game very much in the balance. Second placed Fergusley kept up the pressure with a hard-fought win over West of Scotland. It was far from straightforward though after the Meeklerig side had seemingly done the hard work by bowling West out for 97. The wickets started falling in the 8th over when Riyad Henry trapped Ian Young and continued in the 9th as Adil Ghaffar took two in four balls, one of them Andy Hislop who had scored 33 of West's 36 runs so far. The pressure was on and David Braithwaite was next to fall in the 11th after half-hooking a ball straight up in the air, Gaffar completing the catch off his own bowling. And then Gaffar had four, bowling Tom Spensley for a duck, while West captain James Fenner got underway with a characteristic flourish, driving to the boundary for four to get the total past 50. Two in four balls from Dawood Tahir left his side at 56 for seven. Two balls later, it was 56 for eight as Fenner fell to give Gaffar his fifer, and then 68 for nine as Graham Etheridge departed. The last wicket pair of Gavin Smith and Callum Dutia battled hard to get West closer to three figures, but Hamid Mabu closed it out by bowling Smith for 28. So, five for 31 for Gaffar, three for 10 for Tahir, and a mountain to climb for West. But they stayed in it all the way, pegging Fergusley back with regular wickets. Smith removed David Stafford for a duck, while Hislop completed two stumpings off Etheridge, who would finish with two for 25. Callum Dutia played his part too with the wickets of Omar Hussain and Gaffar, who was batting down the order having swapped places with Stafford. But it was Tamor Ahmed who settled the nerves with a terrific half-century, sealed with a four which also confirmed the result. Three-wicket win for Fergus Lee, not the most comfortable, but their pursuit of Clydesdale continues. The team in third, Prestwick, are still in the chase too after overcoming Stirling County. Majid Hack scoring 60, then taking 3 for 14 as Stirling fell 49 runs short of their Duckworth-Lewis altered target of 157 in 34 overs. But while the race for the title is still very much on, so is the fight for survival. And after the bottom four teams played each other, it seems that only three are now in it. Langside is surely safe after a six-wicket win over Greenock, Moali taking four for 19 as the bottom side was skittled for 81. But in the other game, Pollock's 30-run win over Dumfries has rekindled their hopes of an escape while dragging their opponents further into the mire. Pollock now sit only a whisker behind Dumfries from the table. Their respective visits to Glen Park on the 21st and 28th of the month will be huge. So things are looking very interesting at both ends of the table in the West. And in the Eastern Premier, the situation is quite similar, Gary. Yes, for sure. Matthew Cross has now scored the most runs ever in a season by Herriot's first living batter. It was Hayes Vandenberg who led the way on Saturday as the Golden Acre men clinched a vital Eastern Premier Division win over title rivals for for sure. Cross's 29 runs in the home game means that Scotland man now has 1,092 runs for the campaign beating the previous high set by Vandenberg in 2018 of 1,072. And while Vandenberg may have lost that record for now, the South African-born player is still one of the best batters playing in Scottish cricket currently, and he showed that with 130 runs for the leaders as they took on fourths who were third at the start of the day. He also teamed up with Michael Sheen with 57 to put together a 157-run fourth-wicket partnership, which is a Heriot's first 11 record, breaking one that stood for 17 years. 
all of which helped Mark Watt's men post a strong-looking 292 for four batting first. In the first reply, Seymour Elliott Rudvin removed Craig Wallace and then Rory Johnson to leave the visitors at 44 for two. Skipper Watt and Adrian Neal then got in on the act to further reduce the opponents to 76 for five, and it was a position that they would never recover from, despite a valiant 90 from their skipper, Scott Cameron. In the end, Forfarshire were 208 all out, as Harriet's won by 84 runs to stay top of the table, Watt finishing with figures of 4 for 19. Second place, Carlton could not, frustratingly for them, keep up the pressure at the top, as their match at Barnton against second place, Arish Kerstorfen, was off after the pitch was deemed unplayable following Friday's rain. Grange have leapfrogged Forfarshire into third after they triumphed on the road at 8th place Stonywood Dice. In a match reduced to 48 overs a side, Grange fell to 100 for 5 batting first, but 54 not out from teenager Charlie Pete helped haul them up to a total of 200 for 8. In reply, Stonywood slipped to 14 for 5 in the face of some excellent bowling from the ever-reliable duo of Gordon Gowdy and Dylan Budge. Young Jack Jarvis slipped in on the act with three scalps as the Aberdeen side were 67 all out and Grange were victorious by 133 runs. Watsonians made quick work of bottom side Meagle to remain fifth. Young spinner Gregor Carr impressed with three for 17 from 10 overs, while Josh Stinson, Tom Pratt and skipper Pete Maximchik were also in the wickets, as Meagle were all out for 116 up first. In reply, Mike Carson made 43 not out, Ollie Harris 39 and Greg Brown 26 to seal an eight-wicket victory. In sixth place, Arbroath defeated ninth-place Stuart's Melville to give them their third league win on the spin. Andrew Appleton made a superb 88, but Stumel could only post 167-6 batting first at Lachlan's. The home side player coach Matthew Parker led the way in the reply with 55 not out as they took the victory by seven wickets. Thanks, Gary. So, while the weather just about played ball on Saturday, Sunday was a bit of a different story when it came to the quarterfinals of the Beyond Boundaries Women's Scottish Cup, Rosie. Yes, indeed, Jake. We had some weather disruptions at the games and the Scottish typical weather played up. So, the George Watsons v RHC game, Dumfries and Galloway v West of Scotland game and Watsonians Regrange will be rescheduled, but we will keep everyone up to date when we find out when those will be. One game did survive the weather, though, and that was the big one between the two sides that finished first and second in the Women's Premier League. Yes, we know one of the teams that will play on the finals day, at least after the Women's Premier League champions, Carlton, defeated the runners-up Stu Mel by 10 wickets at Grange Lone. It sounded emphatic, and it was in the end, but it certainly didn't look that way early on, as the Stu Mel top four piled on the runs in the first 10 overs. Nine came off the first as Catherine Holland hit the ground running, whilst Emma Walsingham looked in good form as she took the score to 27 off the first four. Carlton hit back with the wickets of both, but Katie McGill and Catherine Fraser picked up the mantle in style. Fraser skipping down the wicket to plant Carriscott over deep mid-wicket for six in the eighth. Catherine's batting has been hugely impressive through the Super Series and she looked in confident form again. While McGill scoring quickly too, swivelling to hit the last ball off the over for four through to fine leg. A stonking drive off Zara Dansu, moving her to 24, but the youngster had the final word the next ball by uprooting McGill's off stump as she looked to repeat the shot. 
Still at 90 for three after 10 overs, Stu Mel's chances of repeating their league victory over Carlton was still a good one. But then it all started to go wrong. Fraser went to pull a ball from Scott, which appeared to stick in the pitch. She was through the shot too soon, missed the ball and was trapped LBW. Molly Payton was still there and playing beautifully, but no one could stay in with her and she was needlessly run out after a mix-up that 90 for three had become 103 for seven. And only one more run was added. Dansu claimed her fourth and Stu Mel was all out for 104. An early breakthrough was needed if Stu Mel was to have any chance at all and threw everything they had at it. But Abby and Annette Aitken Drummond never looked in trouble as they carefully built a reply. Having brought their 50 up in the eighth, they began to accelerate as the target was whittled down. In the 15th, it was all over. A 10-wicket win, sealed with a pool for four. Abby unbeaten for 49. So Carlton threw to the finals day, and afterwards, Jake spoke to Abby and Annette Aitken Drummond. So, Abby and Annette, you just described that to me as the most boring run chase ever. <laughs> However, <laughs> clinical in the end. Yeah, I mean, I just... <laughs> I just could not really get anything off the bat today, so I was just trying desperately to get a single and get Abby on strike and see if we could just get the runs ticking over. But to be honest, chasing low scores or low-ish scores is always a bit a bit tricky, so we kind of just knew we needed a run a ball and trying to go at that was did well for us. But yeah, it wasn't wasn't the most exciting of run chases. <laughs> but I mean, all, all joking apart, I mean, it was a it was a really terrific team performance. You know, having. Had a, a, them in a really good position at the at the ten over mark, you know, to to pull it back in the way you did, and then to to go about the chase. Yeah, massively. It was uh, looking pretty grim in the field the first ten, but um, we just stuck to our plans and just tried to be. All we said all seasons, just we want full commitment from the girls in the field. Um, if that means getting your body behind the ball and wearing a few, then so be it. But we've worked really hard this season, and we've seen massive improvements in some of the the girls who are probably newer to the sport. So it's been um, brilliant to see, and, and what a fight back to keep them to what we did. And some great performances from your from your youngsters, uh, led by Zara. Yeah, Zara did really well with the ball today. She's just bowled a line in length and straight and on the wickets, and that's that's what she's been working hard on doing all season. So for her to get four today was a really, really great achievement for her. So I'm really, really pleased. Yeah, awesome from her. And the dream of the double still on? Yeah, as Abby said, after 10 overs, I was a bit like, oh, God, this could be tough here today. Um but no, we're, we're really buzzing to get to finals day and hopefully we can go all the way. That would be an absolute dream for us. So here's hoping we can do it and we'll give everything to make that happen. Awesome. Thanks both. Thank you. Thank you. So a great win for Carlton and disappointment for Stu Mel, who are a really fine side too. They'll be back next year and stronger, I'm sure. So on to the week ahead. And Gary, what's catching your eye? Well, coming up is the second dull weekend of action in the Eastern Premier Division um, for the season and these two days on Saturday and Sunday could really shape things at the top and at the bottom with just five rounds of action to go. Uh, leaders Heretics are on the road to Stonyard Dice on Saturday and then at home to Meagle on Sunday while the chasing pack of Carlton Grange and Forfarshire all know they need two wins from two really to keep the pressure up but that won't be able to happen as the first host Grange on Sunday so again Heretics know if they can have a good weekend they can really press on their advantage and also hope to see Hillhead and Morton get their Challenge Cup final played at the second time of asking at Trompelier on Sunday. I'm looking forward to the Super Series finale and uh, looking forward to seeing that preparation before they go away to La Manga 
in Spain for some of those national players. Absolutely. And uh, for me, it's the return of the Super Series 2. It's been such a brilliant competition. Uh, I would certainly recommend catching the live stream of that on Cricket Scotland Live if you haven't had a chance to already. And then in the Western Premier, it's those games involving the bottom three as well as the top four. Dumfries have Clydesdale and Greenock Fergusley. So if Pollock can pinch anything at all from West of Scotland, that will be absolutely massive. And then Uddingston Prestwick is a huge game too. Third v fourth. Must win for both, you'd have thought, and a chance for Uddy to avenge that 101-run defeat back in week two. So plenty to talk about in our 51st episode, but that's it for today. Thanks again, Gary. Really good to see you again. Thanks for having me, guys. And thanks to you for listening from the three of us. Until next time, goodbye.